All right. We have a beautiful expression of the Capital C Church happening today. David is actually uh, in Texas preaching at one of our partner churches this morning. Um, he, I think, just finished the third service there. Um, and uh, they were, um, they, uh, you'll remember Pastor Glenn was here um, in September and prayed over us. And so really grateful to get to go there and express our gratitude for their support over the last several years. Um, and then we have the honor of having Pastor Ed and Rebecca here this morning from the movement in Oakland. Um, they planted uh, the movement in 2013, um, and it's uh, been really encouraging to us to hear um, their story of how God has um, grown that church and also just all the different kind of inter um, inter-church circles that we get to run in together. Um, uh, we run into them everywhere. It's really fun. Um, Ed is actually on the uh, staff of the incubator that David and I have gotten to be a part of um, the last two year for, the years for church planting. So I'll let him share his story with you. It's powerful, um, and we believe that he has a word for us here this morning. So would you give Pastor Ed a really warm welcome? It is good to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who were here last year, you'd remember I had some sunglasses on last year and was preaching to you with some sunglasses on. And uh, that was because I had uh, acquired this infection in my right eye called Pseudomonas, and uh, it, was, it was all bad. A year later, I actually still can't see out of my right eye. Uh, I'm going to need a cornea replacement and prayerfully, I'll be getting that in January uh, so that I could once again, hopefully, uh, see out of my right eye eventually. Uh, so that's just kind of what's going on personally. Before I get to the message, I do just want to say a word about David and Cindy. If you're brand new, kind of checking out Current Church for the first time, you've got to know uh, you uh, here at Current are some of the best leaders in, in all of the Bay Area and I don't just say that because I'm in this church. I want to speak to something very uh, specific. Uh, for some reason, and maybe you've been to one of these churches before, I won't name names, but uh, church leaders can sometimes be pretentious. Church leaders can sometimes be pretentious because, uh, um, because hold on one second, yeah. Because someone didn't set up to stand for me and come on, like... I'm a guest preacher, and you should set up my stand, and I don't even know how that works, so. Um, and so maybe because it's, they've been to a lot of Bible college, or they know a lot of Bible, or people have always revered them and honored them in, in all these different ways, but that's not David and Cindy. David and Cindy are some of the most humble, kind, compassionate people and they are very well read, they are very well documented, they have accomplished a lot in their lives, but whenever I get around them, I experience this humility that I want to take on more myself. Thanks so much. Um, how many of you are thankful for the humility of your leaders? Anybody? Like, for real, for real, like, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. Um, there's, there's nothing better than following leaders who are humble and who think more of God than they think of themselves. And you have that gift here uh, with your leaders. So I just encourage you not to take that for granted. Um, and, and today we're going to talk about uh, motivation. The enduring motivation is the title of the message if you're taking some notes. Um, and I just want to start off in a word of prayer. 
uh, to prepare our hearts for what God might want to say to us today about our motives, our motives for why we worship, our motives for why we're Christians. Uh, That's going to be where we're going today. But if you bow your heads with me, and the best way you know how not just as some introduction to a message, oh, the preacher prays, and then the message starts. Like, just for a few brief moments, would you pray to God? And I know there's some skeptics in the room. Not everyone here is on Team Jesus. There's some folks who maybe you're discouraged in your faith. You're questioning why God is allowing certain things to happen. You're frustrated with your finances. Uh, Your children are giving you a hard time, and aren't they supposed to be gifts from God and all this stuff? And so whatever drama you bring to the room today, whether you consider yourself a skeptic or a saint, maybe the best way you know how, you would just say to God, God, would you speak to me today? God, would you meet me in this place through the teaching of your word and I would know that it was you who was speaking, not just some guy, not just some guest speaker, but it was you who spoke. God, we come before you today, and and we need a word from you. So many of us have heard so many great sermons. David is such a great preacher, and we've we've heard so many great sermons in our life, and, and in many ways, God... We don't just need another great sermon. We need a touch from you. We need a word from you. And so, God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear, eyes to see what you want us to see. And if you have expectancy that God would speak to you today, would you give a hearty amen? Amen. Oh, man, that's not very good, guys. (laughs) If you have an expectancy that the God of the universe is going to speak to you during this time today, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. At least fake it. At least fake it. Okay. So I'd like to start off with a tension question, question that I believe the Scripture will resolve by the time we are done today. And that question is simply this, what is the enduring motivation for persisting in living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ? What is the motivation that will endure? And so if you have been a believer for any length of time, you know that obedience, that doing what God calls you to do is not always easy. If you're not a believer in this room, uh, you're going to see why believers struggle with sticking in there and being persistent. Um, Eugene Peterson, he is famous for writing the message translation of the Bible. He refers to discipleship as long obedience in the same direction. And so one of the burdens I have for this message, one of the reasons why I hope you lean in is because obedience in the same direction, long obedience in the same direction, I think we have it on the slide there, is it? Up there or maybe not. Yeah, a long obedience in the same direction is difficult. It's hard to pursue God faithfully over the long term. For over a year now, I've not been able to see out of my right eye. And people have prayed for my eye. I have prayed. We've prayed for healing. And that healing hasn't come. And so it gets difficult. We've been in the city of Oakland planting this church for the last six years, 
And like David and Cindy here at Current, or maybe not because you guys are just the perfect church, but in our church, there's some problems and there's some struggles. And if I'm being really real with you right now, can I just be like really real? I think the young kids say I'm going to keep it a hundred. Okay, I'm going to keep it a hundred percent with you. Like it's actually nice to be away from my church right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I said it. Like, I'm just glad to be here and not dealing with their drama. I don't even know what your drama is, and I'm going to leave before you even have time to tell me. But let me just tell you, this is why you have to have grace for uh, your leaders. David and Cindy, you know, this is hard work that they do. It's heavy work to have the responsibility of your soul's. And, and obviously, God is the chief shepherd, and Jesus is the chief shepherd, but as under shepherd, it can be heavy. And so obeying God for the long term can be very difficult, and so we need a motivation that endures. Here's a second burden that I have, and I'm, I'm going to like come into your living room now, and, and uh, we're going to get personal here. But many Christians have temporal and unhealthy motivations for living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ. Many Christians have temporal and unhealthy motivations. And you would say, Ed, how do you know that? You don't know me. You can't tell me about my motives. Well, all I know is I've been a Christian for for many, many years. Uh, I grew up in the church and gave my life to the Lord as soon as I could and have been giving my life to the Lord at every altar call since just to make sure. Come on, somebody, right? And and I have had ill motivations for doing this Jesus thing. I have had unhealthy motivations. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up some motivations on the screen uh, to, to reveal to you my unhealthy motivations, but I hope we can all be friends and I hope you could locate yourself somewhere on this screen. Let's look at some of these temporary and oftentimes unhealthy motivations. And I'm going to get into the text in just a minute. But let's find these unhealthy motivations out first. So first is fear. Some of you, we, we obey God, we do the Jesus stuff out of fear. Like if he doesn't, we're going to be punished, right? You're going to give, some of you give tithes and offerings because you fear if I don't give, then Jesus might withhold his financial provision from my life. A lot of us, we got into the whole thing through fear, right? I mean, someone told us about hell, and we're like, we don't want to go there. I'll choose Jesus. Now, I know the Scripture says uh, that a fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, but an unhealthy fear can be an unhealthy motivation, Some of you, you fear your spouse. You're literally here because you fear what your wife or husband may do if you didn't show up or if you didn't wake up. And let me just tell you, fearing your spouse for your Christianity is not an enduring motivation. Someone say amen. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh my gosh, how did he know? Okay. (laughs) Approval. Some of you, you're here because you want your wife to approve of you. You want your husband to approve of you. You want Pastor David and Cindy to approve of you. You want your community group leader to approve of you. So you show up to group during the week, not because you love Jesus. It's because you want the approval of your group leader. You want the approval of your mom and dad. You want the approval of 
your kids. That's crazy that you could even want the approval of your kids. Satisfaction. Now, nothing's wrong with being motivated by the satisfaction that comes from loving the Lord and serving the Lord. But what happens when you sign up for children's ministry and then five weeks later, it's no longer satisfying? What happens when you serve and you're singing and, and, and you serve for the worship team and it's no longer satisfying to come early? Come on, somebody. Come on. It's no longer satisfying to set up the pipe and drape. You've been there. I just want to show up and receive. Come on. Any of you ever been there before? I just don't want to give anymore. Now, I put blessing in yellow because I think it's where we all live. Come on. Come on. Come on. Like we're literally here. Because the Niners play today at 1, and we need to put a down payment on their win. And so the down payment is us being there. We want to be blessed. Someone say amen. Come on. You want blessing in your life. And, and that's fine. The Bible talks about blessing. But what happens when the blessing doesn't come? What happens when your motivation is blessing in your marriage and the blessing doesn't come pride now i know this isn't you guys but some of some christians out there right they obey to feel superior to others just self-righteousness can be a motivation obligation i obey because the bible says oh come on i mean i guess but i don't know how attractive that is to a watching world well we only do these things because the bible commands us to have, have we located ourselves anywhere on the screen? Come on, anybody? Okay, let me just, I'll just share one. When it comes to giving in particular, man. When it comes to giving, if I'm being honest, I gave because God was my virtual, it was just a slot machine. <laughs> Every single week, I'm putting some money in, I'm pulling the thing down, and I'm hoping at some point this thing is going to hit. This thing is going to hit, and God is going to bless me, and all my problems are going to go away. Um, we do these spiritual things a lot of times for these unhealthy reasons. So what is a more enduring motivation? What could be a motivation that lasts? Thankfully, the scriptures have something to say about this. I believe Romans 11, 30 through 3, blah, 11, blah. Romans 11, 33 through 36 has something to say about this, specifically verse 36. For those of you who may be new to Bible study, let me just tell you a little bit about the book of Romans. Paul, who used to be known as Saul, who used to kill Christians, God saved him and he started planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim. One of the churches that was planted was in the city of Rome. Paul never made it out to the city of Rome, but he writes this letter to teach the Christians at Rome, to encourage the Christians at Rome, and he creatively entitled it Romans. He's awesome. And, and he writes this book, and through the first 11 chapters, we get great verses like, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We get these verses that teach us about what the good news of the gospel is. And then at the very end of chapter 11, before it transitions into kind of practical steps for living, Romans 12 and on, it sums up these 11 chapters in this way. Oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. The way He judges, the way He casts down judgment, they're unsearchable. You can't find it. You can't understand it. And how inscrutable His ways. Everyone say inscrutable. I don't even know what that means, but it it sounds confusing. His ways cannot be described. His ways cannot be understood. Paul is painting this picture of God, unsearchable judgments, inscrutable, non-understandable ways. And then he goes on to say, for who has known the mind of this God? Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has known the mind of God? Someone say, not me. Not me. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know how God thinks. Or who has been his counselor? Who has tried to counsel God? Someone say, I've tried. Come on, we've all tried to counsel God. God, this is what you should do with my wife. God, this is what you need to do in my kids. God, what you need to do with my boss. Come on, somebody. God, you need to help my boss understand how valuable I am to this company. God, you need to help my my husband see the things that I do. He doesn't even get it, God. He doesn't even get it. How many times do I have to tell him? And we counsel God. But Paul is saying, you can't counsel God. You can't know the mind of God or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. God has given us salvation. God has given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and sometimes us in our silliness, we think we could actually repay God. So here is Paul uh, painting this, this picture of God, unsearchable judgments, inscrutable ways. No one knows his mind. And then in this next verse, I believe he gives us the enduring motivation, so much more enduring than blessing. So much more enduring than healing. So much more enduring than approval. In Romans eleven thirty six, many of you are familiar with this verse. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's just read that together. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What is the enduring motivation? You know, I I studied this passage. I studied it in the Greek. I'm looking at it. I don't see the word me in here. Anyone see the word me? For from him and through him and to me, I, I don't think that's me in the Greek are all things, there's not even an us. For from Him, for from Him, you know, everything you have is from Him. Right now, the capacity to listen to what I'm saying, to process whether or not, is this guy for real? Does he know what he's talking about? Should I be taking him seriously Is this God speaking to me in this message? For me to be able to speak to you and think about the next thing and think about this Niners game at 1 o'clock all at the same time. That's a faculty that's from God. And it's all through Him. 
our ability to keep doing these things, to sustain, to sustain the breath in your lungs, to sustain the marriage that you have, to sustain you in your singleness. It is difficult, but you are being sustained in your singleness through Him. And we would think it would be from Him and through Him and for us, right? Isn't it from him and through him and for us? Because if it's not for us, then what are we doing here? But it says to him. To him are all things. So God actually does all this amazing stuff in our life. And, and, and the praise, the glory, the weight, the wonder, the fame should all go back to him. To him be glory forever. Amen. Man, not a lot of amens there, huh? How come you're not shouting me down like, amen, that's so good, that's so good? Because it's not about us. And they've been teaching this for hundreds of years. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says it this way What is the chief end of man? In a catechism, right, it would ask these questions and, and children would be taught from an early age the answers to these questions to help them raise them up in the truth. And this catechism would say man's chief end is to what? Glorify God. Glorify God and, and to enjoy Him forever. I praise God they threw that in there, to enjoy Him. But man's chief end is to glorify God. And we use this language around church a lot, so I just... To glorify God means to give Him the praise, to give Him the honor, to give Him the props, to give Him the fame. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our satisfaction, ultimately. It's not about us getting what we want, but it's about giving the praise, glory, and honor to Him. Man, no amen there? No, like, amen, that's awesome. It's okay, this is hard. This is hard, but I'm a guest pastor, and I'm not going to have to clean up the mess of this message. So, so I'm going to say one more thing that, that might hurt your feelings a little bit, but uh, Cindy will help to work all this out. Here's a sobering truth. God did not create you primarily to love you, bless you, or even save you. God created you ultimately to glorify himself. Oh, no amens there either. I was hoping I was prepping you to give me a good amen right there. What do you mean, Ed? Look, look at this. You know, when you pray for healing, God does not just heal you so that you could be healed and have a comfortable life. God heals you so that you could point to the healer as the one who's worthy to be praised. God does not just save you so you could avoid hell. God saves you so you could point to the Savior who actually is interested in you. A sinner like you with your past, with your propensities, with your selfishness. God in His Working with 7 billion people around the world, he saw fit to open up your eyes to a need for a Savior 
So this Savior doesn't just become your comfort in this world, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, or I have forgiveness of my sin, I don't feel guilty. Ultimately, that saving is so you could say, to God be the glory for saving a wretch like me. He does not answer your prayers just so you could have the things that you want. He answers your prayers so you can point to a good, good father. Do we see it this way, current church? Do we see our church attendance? Do we see our obedience? Do we see our prayers being answered as a means of worshiping God? Or do we see it just as a, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me, Jesus just comes alongside to make my life better that is too low of a goal that is that is not eternal enough of a motivation now one last thing and i'll move on how do i know how do you know if this is you how do you know if your motivations are more temporal than eternal how do you know if your motivations for christianity are more self-serving or God-glorifying. I'll tell you how, how, how you know this. How mad do you get when things don't go your way? How mad do you get when God doesn't give you what you want? To the degree that you are angry when God doesn't give you what you want is probably the degree to which you are doing things for God for your end. So what's the big idea? Once again, what is the enduring motivation for persisting in living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ? Hopefully you could see if it's things like blessing and my comfort, when blessing and comfort doesn't come, obedience is going to stop. Some of you know people or have had seasons in your life where you walked away from the Jesus thing because it wasn't working. Have you ever heard people say that before? Oh, I tried that Christian thing. It didn't work. What they're saying is, I didn't get what I wanted out of it. So here's the big idea, the takeaway. The worthiness of God is the single enduring motivation because the worthiness of God is the sole purpose of creation. The glory of God, the name of God, that is why we do these things. The fame of God, people calling Him Lord, is why we obey, why we endure. I say it another way. The worthiness of God is the single enduring motivation because the worthiness of God is the never-changing reality. What you want in life changes. The comforts that you desire change. Who you want approval from and who you don't want approval from changes. But who God is never changes. So, let me just... I'm going to land the plane here by sh showing you how this has worked in my life, specifically in the area of prayer. What, what can be the enduring motivation for prayer? Uh, my wife and I, we celebrated 15 years of marriage this past September. We got married when we were, yeah. I'm, I'm 23 now. We were eight. It's been an awesome 15 years. And for the last 15 years, we've wanted children. Uh, for the last 15 years, we've done our part. Come on, somebody. And, um, and, it, and it hasn't happened. 
And, and this year in particular, okay, we're 37 years old. Um, let's, let's be really intentional. Let's line up the calendars. Let's do all the things that you got to do to make a baby. People have prayed over us for 15 years. We've prayed that we would, would, would be with child and be able to have a child of our own. And in March of this year, just as we were like, come on, we're going to set it up, and we're going to go to all the consults and all these things. In March of this year, we find out that my wife has cancer in her uterus. Really, Lord, September, I got this eye thing I can't see. Really, Lord, March, just six months later, now you're going to bring cancer onto my wife. You're going to allow my wife to have cancer in the spot where you, you have a baby? What are you doing? And so, since March, people have prayed for healing, and, and we've prayed, and we believe that we serve a God who could heal. But at our prayer meeting about a month ago, we have a prayer meeting, and, and we pray, and we seek God, and we worship Him, and then we ask of Him in faith. I said, so what are you going to believe in faith to pray for? What are you going to pray for? What are you going to pray for? And then they said, okay, they said the stuff, the people in our church, okay, this is what we want to pray for. And then they said, how about you? I said, don't ask me. I'm the pastor. Leave me alone. You know, like step off my toes or whatever. But what are you going to believe for, Ed? And in that moment, I knew that God was putting it on my heart to pray again for healing and for us to have a child. I didn't even believe that God could do it. I've just stopped and I've over-spiritualized it. Maybe it's not his will. Come on, you've been there before. You've stopped praying things because you've just determined it's not his will. But let me just tell you how the worthiness of God can be an enduring motivation to motivate you to do something that you would regularly not do or you would have stopped doing if these other motivations. See, the motivation of having a child isn't enough. The motivation of God healing my wife actually isn't enough at this point for me. But you know what motivation is stronger. Let me show you how the worthiness of God can be a motivation in this instance. I felt as I was praying or as I, I said, guys, I'm going to pray this one more time. I'm going to pray this tonight that God would bring healing, that God would uh, give us the gift of a child. But I'm going to pray it because in praying a prayer that has been unanswered for so many years, it's going to be an act of worship unto God. This prayer is going to be, God, I worship you with my faith. You are worthy of me worshiping you. You, you, to God be the glory. So I'm going to glorify you by praying this one more time, not necessarily because I believe you're going to do it, just because you're worthy of my faith. Is God just good enough in and of himself as King of kings and Lord of lords for you to just pray that thing one more time? Can you see how the worthiness of God got me to do something that otherwise I wouldn't have done? You guys tracking with me so far? If you're okay, say amen. So here's the to-do. Ask yourself. What are your motivations for living a life that is surrendered to Christ? Let's just be honest. Let's take inventory. Non-believers in the room, you, you might, this might all make sense to you now. 
no wonder I don't lean into this thing. I, I see these Christians, and, and they're just doing it towards their own ends. It doesn't seem like they actually love God. They just love themselves, and God is the way for them to get what they want to get. But can you imagine current church? I see this for you. I see this for our church, being a group of people that will pray unanswered prayers and that will follow the Lord regardless of whether blessing comes or not, purely because He's worthy. A watching world, what could that do for a watching world to see, oh my gosh, such toil, such strife, and they're praising God anyways. What a testimony that would be. But first, we have to check our motivations. What are your motivations? And we confess those things to God. Man, I've done this primarily because I'm trying to put a down payment on future blessing. So here are a couple things I would encourage you toward the end of um, some practical to-dos. Number one, pray an unanswered prayer. What is the unanswered prayer that because God is worthy, maybe you'll pray that again. Maybe it's an unsaved family member. Maybe it's a sickness that you have. Maybe it's for a child like my wife and I. Maybe it's for your children, someone who's not following the Lord anymore. But maybe you would pray it again, not because you want it for yourself, but just as an act of worship unto God. Pray an answer prayer. Confess an unconfessed sin. I'm running over time here. Can I just take a few more minutes? Confess an unconfessed sin. Not just so you could feel better about yourself. Not just so you could have the guilt away. But maybe some of you in the room who have unconfessed sins. Because you've gotten comfortable living with the guilt. You've gotten comfortable living with the shame. So comfort is not even the thing. But maybe what will get you to confess it to your wife. Get you to confess it to your community group. Get you to confess it to a pastor. Is because God is worthy of your honesty. Is God worthy of your honesty? I know there might be consequences for the sin that you might need to confess, but is the King of kings and Lord of lords worthy of you being honest before Him? Is He worthy? Not will it work. Is He worthy? Forgive an unforgiven friend out of the overflow of how God has forgiven you, you forgive. Not because the relationship will get better. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Not because your guilt will go away or not because, well, I'll be the bigger person. No, all those things. Those motivations don't last. But maybe you will forgive because God is worthy of the forgiveness that you extend to others in light of how he's forgiven you. What is God calling you to do today? How is God calling you to persist long obedience in the same direction? Not out of what you will get out of it, but doing it because he is worthy. Let's close with some gospel. Let's take a look at Jesus. We see Jesus in John 27 through 28. Jesus is our example in this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? This is just moments before he's going to go to the cross. 
Father, save me from this hour. Jesus himself struggled with the motivation to complete what God had sent him to do. But, everyone say but. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What was at the bottom of Jesus' obedience? It was God's glory. The fame of God's name. But let me tell you this. Jesus isn't only our example. It's better than that. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus isn't only our example. Jesus is our substitute. What does that mean? Jesus had every right motivation that we will never have. Jesus had perfect motivation for 33 and a half years. And when we place our faith in Jesus, His motivations are credited to us. Someone say, thank you, God. So as you think about here, there might be some conviction in the room. Oh my gosh, my motivations, if I'm honest, they've been self-serving. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to get your motivations right to approach the Lord. Your motivations being more godly and more God-honoring aren't a prerequisite for being right in the sight of God because Jesus' motivations have been credited to you. Because Jesus was faithful to his assignment, number one, not only can we be forgiven for all of our ill motivations, but we can come boldly before the throne of grace because his motivations have been credited to us. His righteousness has become our righteousness. How many of you are thankful for gift righteousness here? Righteousness that comes not from of ourselves, but from Christ. And so in a moment, we're going to praise God. We're going to respond in singing to God. And I want you to respond. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What we do is we thank God. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to work on our motivations and just not leave us as we are. How many of you are thankful that God is still messing with you? On this beautiful Sunday, out of all the people he could be messing with, he's still messing with you. And though it might not feel good, it's evidence of his love. He disciplines those he what? Those he loves. Can you imagine a church? Imagine this place being a beacon in the Silicon Valley, not because we just serve a God who who's faithful to answer our prayers and deliver us and do all these great things in our life. But we're a group of people, a body of people who praise him even when he doesn't. That's what I pray for this church. That's what I see for this church. That's what I believe. To him be glory and honor, dominion and power. To him, for from him and through him and to him be glory. Would you bow your heads with me and close in prayer and so maybe for just a few moments you would just ask the Lord to if you have had some unhealthy motivations just say Lord would you forgive me would you forgive me for my unhealthy motivations my self-serving motivations and then maybe you would just simultaneously thank him for Jesus who cleanses us of all unrighteousness 
May you begin to ask yourself even now, Lord, what is the next step of obedience that you have for me? Lead me to do it, not because I'm going to get something from it, but because you're worthy. God, I just pray for a supernatural ability for the people in this room listening to this message to be motivated by your holiness, your goodness, your majesty, your splendor. You're not our genie who we come and we do good things to manipulate your hand. It's not about that, God. You're the king of the world. Put us in our proper place today. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we do it, Lord, may, be, may we be a light to a watching world. May we be a sweet aroma. Oh my gosh, what is it with those current people? They are sold out for Jesus and there is so much hardship in their life. Yet there's a joy that seems unexplainable. God, would you give us ability to glorify you with our lives, good times and bad. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.